Hey everyone, this episode of Black Girls Texting was live recorded at our recent show with Lisa Price, the founder of Carol's Daughter. In the conversation, we talked about good hair versus bad hair, uh, horror stories with relaxers, and giving 4C hair texture the love it deserves, putting respect on its name. Um, Please excuse us. The audio cuts out a little bit in the beginning and a little bit at the end. Um, You might hear like a little lull. Uh, You know, tech problems happen when things are live, but keep listening for a really great episode. They were like, smoothie? I was like, I would love that, actually. (laughs) That is not mine. (laughs) Okay. Hello? These mics? Yep, this works. Okay. (laughs) Were you tapping? Oh. All right. So we're going to get started. Um, thank you for waiting. And yeah, so I'm Shade. Oh, sorry, you <laughs> I'm Chelsea, also known as Chels Pinky and the washing machine queen. I'm Glenn um, at Bedstybrat on Instagram. And the three of us make up Black Girls Texting chat are the most real and the most honest, and we unpack them live um, and on our podcast. So today, joining us for our Black Girls Texting is Miss Lisa Price. Woo! Hi. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming. So I have a pretty long intro for you because you're pretty legendary, (laughs) so bear with us. Um, So Miss Lisa Price is a, a Brooklyn legend, so if you don't know, we're in Brooklyn, and this is like, I remember growing up here and seeing your first place. So I'm like, oh my God, having a fangirl moment here. But um, she founded her business in 1993, Carol's Daughter, in her kitchen in Brooklyn after a lot of encouragement from her mother, Carol. And she went from selling her product in local farmers markets and festivals to opening her first store. Forget it. girlsdaughter.com. After that, it was honestly history. As one of the first major natural hair brands, Carol's Daughter launched on HSN, was in Target. Miss Lisa Price was featured on Oprah, so the O effect took place. Um, And they most recently joined the L'Oreal family. Carol's Daughter is now sold in over 30,000 retail stores across the country. 30,000, no big deal. And Lisa is truly a pioneer for growth of the natural hair care movement. I know some of y'all probably have some Carol's daughter in your hair right now. <laughs> but I definitely say for our generation, and I, and I say that in terms of really starting to embrace our natural hair, I think you were one of the first brands that a lot of people turned to. And for your accomplishments, we see that you were exhibited at the Smithsonian um, Natural Museum for African American History and Culture. So... Very, very exciting accolades here, and we're so excited to have you. Thank you. Wow. So impressed. <laughs> we're sitting with a legend. <laughs> and Shadi, your voice was quite soothing just now. Like, can oh, you talk like that all the time? I'm trying not to shout. Right. Usually, <laughs> you're very loud. I know. Okay. Um, I'm West Indian. So... <laughs> so, of course, we're talking about hair today. This is something that we always talk about in our group chat whether we're planning for a vacation, planning for an event, hair is a topic of conversation. So on the podcast, when we have guests, we play this game called Red or Reply. 
And so if you've listened, it's like a kind of spitfire, fast round where we ask questions. But today, we really want to get you all involved. So um, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you feel me and keep your hand down if you don't. So raise your hand if you would read the text. Keep your hand down if you wouldn't reply. Oh, wait. Opposite. <laughs> raise your hand if you'd reply. Put your hand down if you leave the text on red. Y'all know what leaving the text on red means, right? Okay, good. You're not here for it. All right, so um, raise your hand if you <laughs> raise your hand if you ever wore your hair outside in a doobie or a Dominican hair wrap. With the pins. With the pins. With mad pins. This was a look for me. This is something I always wanted to do. I mean, Rihanna made it very fashionable too. I started the, the J train. My hair in my doobie wrap. <laughs> Thought I was real cute. <laughs> okay, raise your hand if you ever got your hair hot comb. Hot combed from the stovetop. Oof. And if somebody burns your forehead or ear. <laughs> so my mom used the hot comb, and she didn't know that you're supposed to cool it. So she combed my hair right off my scalp. Yeah, that was my story. Um, it was very traumatic. Um, raise your hand um, if you've ever been told your hair was unprofessional. Mm. Um, raise your hand if someone in the office thought your hair grew overnight. <laughs> um, raise your hand if you ever had a tragic perm. Mm. We recovered, guys. We made it. Um, oh, Glenn, can you please tell your perm story real fast? So I've been begging my mom for a perm my whole life. Um, it's really interesting as I was as we were doing our research on Lisa, I saw something that, like, in, in the 90s, when you first started your brand, it was this whole sort of resurgence or this boom around, like, Afrocentricity and, like, em embracing your natural hair and heritage. So my family was very of that mind. And every time I begged my mom, she, like, would not let me. And finally, she caved in on the day of my eighth grade prom, went and got a perm, and all my hair fell out. I remember the hairstylist was like, um, she called my mom, hush, hush, like, can you go pick up a couple packs of hair? And I'm like, why? Like, what's happening? Y'all, I'm finally flourishing like 10 years, 15 years later. Wow. Uh, okay. Raise your hand if you know how to cornrow. Gosh. I really want to learn. Yeah, not that many of us know how to do it. No. And I, I don't usually admit this in public. Um, <laughs> Exclusive. And it's a room of, of brown girls. Um, I don't know how to double dutch either. <gasps> me, neither. me neither. Me neither. They've tried to teach me. It just didn't work. Did they tell you you were double-handed? Oh, I forget was. turning. I can't, get into the, I can't get into the rope. I just, I, they would do the one my baby, two my baby. Yeah, yes. no. It gets all tangled up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I can't cornrow and I can't double dutch. So my, my husband says they're going to take my card away. So. Yes. <laughs> revoked. Slack card revoked. Okay. Raise your hand if a family member has ever asked you, where in the hell are you going outside with your hair looking like that? Mm. Okay, I've gotten that. Um, raise your hand if you send hairstyles to your group chat for second, third, and fourth opinions. Okay. You have to. If you have to sleep on a silk pillowcase. Where <laughs> Um... If, you ever, if it was ever raining and you didn't check the weather app and you found a plastic bag to make it work. Especially if you were just leaving the hair salon. 
<laughs> um, a few more. Um, have you ever had a bad wig or weave? Raise your hand if you're natural right now. Yes. Okay, so bad or good, we can all agree that hair is a part of our lives. It's something that we think about. Um, what does being a natural mean to you, Miss Lisa? I feel like there's like a, you know, a bunch of different definitions. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm older than everyone here, including the staff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it means a lot of different things to me. So I don't think that it has the label that it did have probably in like 2009. 2010, where there were natural Nazis that were online and, you know, they would go after people if they did anything to manipulate their hair um, because to them, natural meant, like, just as it grew out of your head. Don't twist it. Don't color it. Don't do anything to it because that's how it's supposed to be. Um, now, I think it's just about doing what's comfortable for you. And I used to feel that way before. Like, a lot of people think of Carol's daughter, and they think that I encouraged people to go natural. And I didn't. I encouraged people to have healthy hair. Because when I started this company, 89% of African-American women relaxed their hair. So if I was trying to convince people not to relax... That was a real uphill like battle, and I didn't have marketing or advertising dollars to take on a task that big. My concern was people would come to me and they would say that they were going on vacation and they wanted to get their hair braided like um, Stella, and Stella got a groove back. But they didn't want their roots to be kinky when they're gonna get the human hair braided in, so they would relax it before the braids so that it all matched. And I was just kind of like, that's not right. Like, you, no, you can't know. Because you're weakening your hair when you're relaxing and then you're stressing it when you braid it and you're not gonna have any edges and who cares that it doesn't quite match. And I feel like we've gotten so far away from that now, we don't care about that. And then we have edge control and gels and all of that, um, but that, to me, natural is just accepting what you have and what grows out of your head and who you are and manipulating it however you see fit, but not to the detriment of your hair. You know, like, it's okay to have kinky roots and braids. It's Absolutely. all right. It's not bad. Yeah. Nothing's going to happen. I promise. <laughs> so have you always been natural? Did you ever have a... Oh, I've, I've had relaxers, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when I grew up... Really? I'm 56. Like, I've done some stuff. <laughs> when I was growing up, um, my aunts and my mom looked at a relaxer not in the, you have to have this done to your hair for you to be acceptable, but more in the, this is going to make it easier for you to comb your hair and style your hair. Because we didn't have creamy shampoos. We had Breck and Prell. And if you've ever seen those, they're not too far away from Dawn dishwashing liquid. Yeah. And there was a conditioner called Wella Balsam, 
which was the only conditioner that we could find that would detangle our hair. And it would literally take an entire bottle of Wella Balsam to condition my hair after I washed it. Um, so a relaxer wasn't about straight hair and you're going to be prettier and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was more, okay, you're, you're 12 or 13. You have to start to learn how to do your own hair. So this is what we're going to put in to make that process easier. And we used to use a relaxer called Curl Free. And um, I, it's not on the market anymore because I've tried to find it for like research purposes to explain it to other people. But it was a relaxer that you would only find in Jewish neighborhoods because it was one that Jewish women would use to straighten their curly hair. And it was a different process than the regular relaxer and it took longer and my mom would have to buy two boxes most of the time to do my whole head because it wasn't made for black hair, so there wasn't enough product in there for you to use one box. And my hair would basically look the same when it was dry, but when it was wet, it was a lot easier to manage. So I never got into that cycle of every four to six weeks, I have to go get my roots touched up. Mm -hmm. And then, like you, I begged for the Ultra Sheen relaxer because I saw the commercial and the girl looked really pretty and she had the silky hair and it was like my Barbie doll and right. I, I thought I could just wake up and go like this mm -hmm. and I could just go and so my mom tried it and it didn't all fall out at that moment like we had to go buy hair <laughs> but every time I combed my hair it was coming out so I learned at a young age that it just wasn't worth it because my hair was a mess for about two to three years after that before it grew back in and we cut the dead stuff off and all of that. Um, so, yeah, I did do it, but so not for too long. Because one thing that was resonating with me as you were speaking is that even for myself, since I was young, it, it, it's like there's some, like doing our hair feels like a burden or something. And it's like, oh, what can I do to make this easier? Like, I don't want to spend the time to have to detangle it. How can I just soften it up. I remember my grandmother always used to say like, just let her get a kitty perm, just real quick. And she was like, just let her touch it real quick and wash it out. Just one of them just for me. It's like, she just wanted me to have it so much so that I could just, so it would be easier. Um, and even now, like when the wash day comes, I'm like, all right, here I go. About to spend five hours doing this right now. But it is sort of, what I found is like, it's a really amazing time to like, just care for myself and like, it's dope to see how my hair naturally grows out of my head and like that it's all my own. But also, I, there was definitely a time where I, at least myself, I was coveting a perm because I did want this kind of like straight curl, like straight luscious kind of thing. I did want to look like my Barbie dolls. It was this whole kind of like warped perception of beauty that I had um, that's taken a while for me to kind of have to shed. But yeah. Wait, a real quick raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever gotten a perm and you just let it sit till it's burning the hell out of your scalp. I used to do that all the time and like eventually all my hair fell out. Um, but like I was just dying for that like straight, straight hair. But I do feel like that was a transition from what it originally was meant to do, which was just to make life a little easier. Um, so has anyone in the audience ever had a big chop? Do y'all know what a big chop is? Shadow, you want to explain it since you just did one? Oh, you see this freshly chopped hair, ladies? 
I was gonna say ladies and gentlemen, but it's it's mostly ladies in here. <laughs> um, so the big chop is when you either cut off your relaxed ends or your. For me, it was heat damage. So I've been natural for maybe about five years, but. Me and the flat iron were best friends, and I realized that my hair was just stringy on the ends and natural in the roots, and I didn't really know what to do. And it took me a really long time to just take the plunge. And so I chopped all my hair off, and it's been quite a process in understanding what my hair even looks like. And that's been something that's been really blowing my mind, because you can sit and you can look at all these different people on YouTube and the Instagram pages and channels, but you really have no idea until you just take that time. And I've been taking the time to just learn what my hair is and and what products to use and what to do with it. But it's honestly been like a journey in that I feel like I'm finding that joy in like, this is the hair that grows out of your head and, and, and that that's okay. And also... Sometimes being like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. I want to throw a wig on my head. I don't want to do... But, and all of that is okay. Yeah. So speaking of that, I think one of the things we were talking about is about finding those products that like, really work for our hair. So we wondered if you could talk to us a bit about like, how you were making those products in your kitchen and what that process was like. Mm-hmm. And you said before that it was about hair health, that that was like, mm-hmm. most important for you. So a lot of people don't know this also. When I first started Carol's Daughter, I did not have hair care products. I had body products. I loved fragrance. I've always had super dry skin. And I figured out this way to make this really great body butter in my kitchen. And then I could make it in all these different great fragrances. So when I first started to sell, I would have body butters in different scents. And then I would have these fragrance oils and these little roll-on bottles to go with them. And people would come over to my table at the different flea markets and things, and they would say, so what do you have for hair? Oh, I don't have anything. And then they would walk away. Oh, you know, I'm really looking for something to make my hair softer. Oh, I don't have hair care products, but I have, hello, hi, could you come back? Like, they would just, (laughs) just be gone. So I said to my husband, I was like, I have to figure out how to make hair care products because people really want stuff for their hair and they're not even looking at the body products. So I started to do research on ingredients and essential oils for hair. And the first thing I made was a hair oil. And then after the hair oil, I made a hair pomade, the mimosa hair honey. Um, I made the healthy hair butter that we still sell today. And in making these hair care products to take care of other people, I started to realize these work on my hair. Because my hair was always kind of curly, but not necessarily curls that I could control. So there were days when the curls looked really good, and then there were days when they didn't look so great. Mm-hmm. And I just had to hope that like, if there was an event, you know, like a wedding, that it was going to be a day that they were good. Yes. Because I didn't know how to manipulate them or the right way to moisturize them. And in making the products, I started to see oh, well, some days I need a butter, but then some days I just need a little bit of milk, and some days I just need some water and a little little dollop of oil. And it was a whole discovery for me as well. 
And then I had friends who were stylists, and um, this was in the 90s, so people who were getting locks and braids. You didn't have transitioners in the 90s. So the early 90s, that hair care movement was more about going natural, and it was very drastic. So there were people who just cut all their hair off. They didn't call it the big chop then. They just cut their hair off. Um, and you had people who would get their hair locked or get their hair braided. And not everyone could do that because they couldn't just show up to work like bald mm. all of a sudden or with locks or braids. It might not have gone with the dress code. So it was a, a more niche movement back then. But I had lots of friends who were stylists and people who were getting these hairstyles. So I got to develop products with their guidance. You know, I would give them things. They would try it. They would say, you know what, I need something that has a texture like this or a shampoo that does that or a conditioner that does that. Um, so it was, it was great to grow like small and organically that way and develop with people who were actually looking for these things and using them. Um, just really quick to go back to the creamy crack. Um, <laughs> so I know some of us have like experienced judgment. I know I have because I stopped relaxing my hair, but I just find it easier to blow it out. But like some of my friends are like, you're not a real natural if you have blown out hair. Like, Didn't they say if you use a comb, you're not a natural? Yeah, another friend said if you use a comb in the shower, you're not really natural. Like you need to be using your fingers. But then, on the flip side, I've heard some of my friends who like always straighten their hair talk about, um, you know, these women that smell like patchouli oil and, you know, with their natural, like, natural Nazis, like you said earlier. Um, do you have any thoughts about, like, this tension that we can sometimes see between the two worlds? Ooh, a tight <laughs> lip. <laughs> okay. Do you know why we relaxed or straightened our hair in the first place? But why? I'm sorry? No, it, it, it evolved into that. If you go back to when we were all owned by other people, mm. if you had a certain skin color, you were considered more pleasing to the eye, not as ugh, and you could be inside the house. And if your hair had a certain texture and you were this skin color, you could be inside, you weren't outside. And slave owners created dissension and tension amongst us by making it seem as though being inside the house was better. Maybe we, we you know, th those of us in the house ate differently than those of us who were outside because we're inside and there's this perception that it's better. But at the end of the day, we're all still slaves and we're all still owned by someone else. And that part of our existence went away, but when you are in a workplace and when you're going to be evaluated for whatever reason, that ideology, it wasn't so that you could look white per se, but the way that we were naturally was not accepted. And if you wanted to go to a certain school, if you wanted to get a certain job, if you wanted to get a promotion, if you wanted 
to be the doctor at such and such a level, you, you didn't have the luxury of creating a distraction with this. So you had to blend in. And your, your grandparents and older relatives could not understand why would you harm your potential well-being by wearing your hair in this way? So when they say to us, how could you go outside like that? It comes from, how are you going to make a living like that? How are you going to feed your children like that? You're not acceptable, you're unkempt. And the, that conversation of the house nigger and the field nigger not liking each other, because one's better than the other, or one's lesser than than the other, then the kinky hair is this, and the straight hair is that. And so that's stuff that we have to work through and be honest about and have conversations about so that we can shed it, and then we'll stop having these comparison conversations. But that was the root of it. You know, you supposedly had a better life if you look this way. And the reality is that none of that is true. I mean, none of it is true. Um, and I like being a patchouli-smelling yes. person. I know, I'm not mad <laughs> at I'm one of those people that loves patchouli. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I never really thought about it in that kind of way, like really going into the divisiveness of it, like way back. Um, that, that's one, that's yeah. one of the things that, that I have explained in working in this industry for so many years because... I tried to explain to people a relaxer was not a beauty treatment. Mm. It really wasn't. It was a necessity. Mm -hmm. You didn't think about whether or not I'm doing it. Every four to six weeks, it was, it was happening. Now, we actually make choices. Do I want braids? Do I want a protective style? I have a protective style in right now. Do I want to put on a wig? Do I want to wear a weave? We make choices, and now we're making beauty decisions, and we're making choices on, I'm going to wear it like this because I'm going to be working out. I'm going to do this because I'm going on vacation. I'm going to do this because it's cold outside. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you didn't have to think, am I going to lose my job if I cut my hair? No. That was a reality. So I'm, I'm curious on how you think the narrative has shifted in regards to beauty standards when it comes to this because we do have more options um because while I do think that we have come a really long way at the same time I feel like marketing wise the majority of textures I see and I'm not crazy about the hair chart but the majority of textures I see are these like 3a 3c juicy curls and I definitely would say for me, when I was cutting my hair and I started transitioning, I was like looking at my roots, like what's, what's happening? What's about to happen? Because I didn't know and I didn't know what to expect. I remember we went on a trip together and I had been wearing a lot of weaves at the times and I just decided to just let it all go loose. We were like traveling around Asia. It was way too humid to try to even <laughs> wear a weave. And we were having this whole conversation on like our hair textures yeah. and like, between one another, like, as really close friends, not really understanding, like, the difference between our textures and, like, how we define the beauty within our textures. And it's just a constant conversation I feel like we're always having and we're seeing in what's advertised to us. Like, 
I mean, I know I pick up certain product like, is this going to do this to my hair? Like, no, right. and damn well it's not going to do that. And I think about hair. literally how much Eco Styler gel I used to put in my hair. It was <laughs> ridiculous. When I first started to try to do wash and goes, first of all, why did the wash and go take two hours? And then I would get these little ringlets and they would look really good, but then they would be mad crunchy and flaking by day two. Remember when you did my hair? Yeah. When I tried to help her transition, I just slap in Eco Styler. And a mad conditioner. And I'm like, shake. She was like, shake your head. Let the, let the curls clump. They got to clump. They got to curl. And it was just like, no. You gave me a seizure. Yes. Anyway, we say all that to say. Thoughts on that kind of idea of like really trying to reach this perfect ringlet. And also the hair chart. I'd be so curious on that. This yeah. 4B, 4C. I, I'm not a good person to comment on the hair chart. Um, I understand its point, and, and honestly, I really only care about the 4C on the hair chart because yes. that's the most underrepresented. So, um, But I, I think that we're just in a place where we've done this certain thing with the relaxer for decades. The relaxer and the hot comb, it was the process, it was what we all did. I mean, if, how many people saw... Um, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry get married mm -hmm. were watching on the news that day or looked at the social media footage. Okay. So when you think about the choir that was there, remember that beautiful, gorgeous, yes. pastel-colored choir? Yeah. Do you remember the hair? Yeah. The bundles, the braids, the, the, I mean, everything was represented. When I grew up, a church choir never looked like that. Mm. And I never thought that I would see what I see today when you look at it. So we're, we're getting to a place where that's not going to be, um, you know, this perfect curl and juicy. And, because reality is everyone's hair is not going to do that. You can, you can do things to manipulate curls and you can spend two hours and you know, maybe get that wash and go look, even though it's not really wash and go. Um, but it's, everyone's just not gonna look the same. And the more that you have social media and you, the more you have people defining what beauty is to them, the less important the ads are, mm. you know? Because like, yeah, there might be an ad and this person is in the ad, but when you look at everybody's feed, it doesn't really mirror the ad, so. It just, but I think it just takes time for all of the companies to catch up and to understand the messaging. And, you know, like I, ha I have a 12 year old at home who grew up most of her life with sister locks because when she was really little, I traveled a lot and my husband gave her a little afro and people thought she was a boy. And she didn't like that. And she was like, Mommy, I want to do this with my hair. I want to do this. And I was like, OK, she could do that with locks. So I got, I got her locks when she was three years old. And for a long time, she loved them. We would style them in all kinds of ways. We curled them, we ponytails, buns, faux hawks, all of that. And then one day, she was like, I don't want these anymore. I want to see what my own hair looks like. And we took about two years to protective style her locks till it grew out enough that we could cut it off because she wasn't interested in being bald. So she was like, no, I have to have something on my head. And the day that I cut them, I was terrified that she was going to have a meltdown 
when she saw herself. I mean, of course, I think my daughter is gorgeous and she's right. going to look beautiful no matter what, but I know how little girls are. Mm -hmm. So I was really nervous and, and, and I said, so what do you think? She looks in the mirror. She's like, oh my God, I'm free. This oh, is so great. I'm wow. free. But even with that, she still was nervous to go to school like that. So then she was like, okay, can we get it braided? And then I'll decide in the summer. And then summer was over and in September she wasn't ready yet. Um, but then she was ready by November. Um, and she watches YouTube videos and tries to figure out how to style her hair. And she does do the, the brush with the edges and gets a little, <laughs> a little extra. But she doesn't like freak out when it gets messed up because she was playing, you know? Um, but if she could, if somebody said, spray this on and you'll have juicy curls, oh, she would spray it would on it? in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Oh, but she knows that that's not doable. And she actually bought Eco Style in a store. She was out with a friend and it said Curl Magic or something like that on it. And I had to explain to her, I was like, it's, it's not going to make your hair curly. It's not magical. Really, mommy? It's not going to do it? I said, no. Oh, man. I mean, I remember why I wanted a silkener so badly. Like, what even was that? That Even that language, silky, like, I, I, yeah, I would have done that, too. I, I know. I was like, where's yeah. that spray? But I just, <laughs> I also just feel like, like, the beauty of black hair is that you can straighten it. Yes. You can have it curly. Yes. You can have it wavy. You can have it in braids. Like, you, we literally can do so much that other people can't do with their hair, mm -mm. you know? And I feel like that's the fun. And, like, at some point, we, I had to figure out, okay, how am I going to have fun with my hair? How is it not going to be, like, a burden to me? And, like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to play with it. It's just hair. It will grow back. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's a conversation we've had a lot, Chelsea, in terms of, like, I feel like, so we both have the same hairstylist. And we, we both have kind of had this, like, Chelsea introduced me to the girl who did my weaves. And, like, we would have fun with, like, these 24-inch bundles and dyeing it and going crazy. And I think you kind of took the plunge before me, but I feel like, I don't know if you want to share a little bit of, like, how your transition has been in terms of, like, oh, I can't use heat or, like, fine, I'm just going to do it. Like, it, we've been having, like, a similar kind of situation because Glenn just left us. Glenn, she, she moved to Cambodia. She never touched a flat iron like, again. I give no fucks. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I was we like... Were, over the weekend, she, we were, like, doing something and she had to go to the corner store. She's like, I don't understand why the person with straight hair has to go outside. <laughs> Which I'm like, I walk outside with no umbrella because it's just... Mm -hmm. And that, something that you were saying earlier made me think about this concept of, like, being a carefree black girl. And for a while, I associated that with those big curly ringlet women. But for me, it's like, literally, I get up and I don't care. Like, I'm carefree with my hair. But anyway, yeah. No, I mean, I... I was going through a lot of judgment, like, oh, you should be natural, you should be natural. Mm -hmm. So then I didn't put heat in my hair for seven months. And it was fun. It was just really hard. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm tired. And like, but sometimes I do my little twist out and like have my hair big and it, I get just as many compliments. I feel just as beautiful. It's just what I feel like doing. And I feel like I'm not gonna let anyone dictate what my hair needs to look like. If I feel like straightening it, I will straighten it. If I feel like wearing it curly, I will wear it curly. It's my hair, you know? Let me think of one quick question. 
Did you see Napoli Ever After? Yes. What was that? Is it just me? Don't go shading Napoli I'm Ever so After. I'm sorry. I hope nobody was involved in the production of that film in this room. Right, because they could have been. <laughs> I see it. There's another tight lip moment was happening. It just, I, I was just disappointed. So was I. It felt like something that maybe would have been made 12 years ago, but not today. I agree. It felt yeah. like it set us back. It felt like contrived and just like... But I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like it set us back. I just felt like it was an old conversation. Like, didn't we, didn't we do that already? Right. Yeah. I thought we, I thought but we finished that. But it is adapted from a book that is from like the 90s, yeah? Yeah. I don't know. It just yeah. felt... Yeah. But that, unfortunately, that shows that it took that long to get the funding to make it. Mm. Right. Because it takes longer for people to catch up and realize that a thing is a thing and that it's a conversation. And then, you know, like I, I was in a meeting um, once with um, some people who were presenting data and they were presenting this data in like 2013 talking about the um, transitioning craze that's about to hit. I was like, what? About to hit? Um, it hit like four years ago. Right. <laughs> Y'all late. I don't know where they got the data from, but that's, that's what they thought God in bless. 2013, that it was coming. Oh, no. It was over. It came. Yeah, it, it, it came, came and, it, and it yeah, went. It went. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you really do. But I have to say, you're making these transitions really easy. I'm going through like, what's my next question? Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, so with all that being said, we did our little research, and it says that the black hair industry is valued at $2.5 billion. Um, and with the value of the black hair industry, do you think some brands are jumping on the bandwagon, per se? Or do you think it's just the result of economics? Like, there's a, there's a demand, so here's a supply. It's more the second than it is the first. Mm -hmm. I, I think that as a, as a culture of people who have been accustomed to being appropriated and having things taken from us and done poorly, um, we tend to latch on to that narrative. Oh, they just want to make money off of us. They just want to do this. They just want to do that. And it, it really isn't. It's just the sheer economics of it. Mm. If you think about in 2007... When I looked at Mintel data on hair care, 89% of African-American women relaxed their hair. It's a lot of people. You know what that number is today? What is it? It's, it's not as bad as 12. 40. No, 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 no. 26. Oh, wow. And it's finally leveling off a bit. Like in the last couple of years, it's only dropped like a point or two. So we're at this space with there's people who just aren't going to stop because for whatever reason, there are some people whose hair tolerates it mm -hmm. and they can function with it. Um, and then, you know, you just have people who they're just, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so that is money that used to be made by beauty companies mm -hmm. that they don't make anymore. So it is dollars and cents. Yeah. Like, okay, we can't sell this product. It, you know, it's like somebody's not interested in the big SUV. They want the electric cars. So we don't have Hummers on the street like we used to. You know, big Hummers. They're not out there anymore. People aren't running out and buying Escalades like they used to. Um, so, yeah, it, it is 
it is dollars and cents. Yeah. We're not going to buy relaxers. Right. We're just not. Yeah. Um, just really quick, because like you said, there's always this skepticism um, anytime a white company is involved. Um, so could you talk about your partnership with L'Oreal and like... Our, you know, partnership is such a soft word. We, <laughs> it's yeah. not a partnership. We be <laughs> they, they, they acquired the brand. I sold the brand to L'Oreal, and it's not something that I hide or I'm ashamed of in any way, shape, or form. I built a company from literally from my kitchen with a hundred dollars, mm -hmm. and I sold it to the largest beauty company in the world. And I still and work there, and I still help to run the brand. And when you know, like. I'm going to talk about another brand just for a second. So we think of My Black is Beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. It's a great campaign. It is actually the largest, and I'm talking about my competitor by saying this, but it's the largest online platform of African-American women, period, that exists. MyBlackIsBeautiful.com. That is within a white company, right? Procter & Gamble, P&G. It's not a black-owned company. But everybody behind My Black is Beautiful are black people. So we have to be inside of these corporations to start dialogue and conversation. Um, and P&G does a really interesting job of marketing to us um, and, telling, and trying to be authentic with our stories. L'Oreal takes a somewhat different approach because L'Oreal is a French brand. So they look at beauty for all versus, you know, this campaign is going to work for this and this campaign is going to work for that. Um, so it's, it's, it's a different approach. But all of them are, while they may not, you know, be black-owned per se, they do have black executives and marketers and salespeople and so forth in the company that they listen to. And when someone like myself can come along and enter into a company like that at an executive level, because with the acquisition, it's not like I go in and become a secretary. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It gives me the opportunity to have a voice and to educate and to help them understand the consumer better and to change thought process behind things. Like, yeah, guys, relaxers are not beauty treatments. Like, in reality, they're not. Um, and, you know, they, they, they would read online about our five-hour wash days or, you know, going to get our hair braided and it took 12 hours to get it done. And, oh, my God, that's so awful. That's so horrible. And I'm like, no, you can't, you can't say that. You can't approach it from the perspective of we have to fix this problem for them and not have it take five hours or 10 hours. No, you don't because that's our culture. Yes. That's our bonding time. Mm -hmm. yes. That's our self-care time. That's when we heard the stories from our grandma and our aunties and our moms. And, and it's a beautiful part of my life. So don't insult it by making me think you're trying to fix it for me. They didn't know that because that's not the culture that they grew up in. So to them, it was just, this is a lot of work. And the goal, a lot of times when you sell products, is to sell things to make people's life easier. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to make you look prettier. We're going to give you clothes that make you feel good. We're going to give you cars that run smoothly and televisions that, you know, can order a pizza. You know, they're <laughs> just trying to make your life easy. So I, 
I am glad that I get to be there and to do that kind of educating. Like that whole slave thing, that was an interesting conversation when I had that at work one day. <laughs> oh, you had talked about that in the... Yes, we did. Yeah. Board, the boardroom. <laughs> boardroom I mean, slavery conversations. You have, you have to have uncomfortable conversations mm. sometimes to understand each other, to know, you know the path that someone is walking in and why they make the choices that they make and why they feel the way that they feel. People don't understand that we have different triggers. They don't understand why it's uncomfortable for someone to touch our hair. And that's because there's a great grandmother ancestor in there who, rem who was on a block and's like, get your hands out of my hair. And we don't even know that. We don't even know that that's why we feel that way. But when somebody does it... it just, you just jump, flinch. You know, it's... it's it's in your DNA. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, that just thought, that made me think about, um, I work at this all, this very prestigious white, predominantly white school. I work with first graders. 90%. 90%. <laughs> so even as recently as today, I just got back from spring break. I mean, winter break. And this child put her, just... They always are like reaching for my hair and I'm like dodging like this. <laughs> this girl told me recently, this little girl told me that my hair was the bongos and she like tried to do this like thing, like my hair was a drum. Um, and it's interesting because I, after so much conversation around my hair, I did this, this I did a, a lesson uh, um, with them on afros and why this is like a sacred space and why you can't touch it. And it was so funny because... Did you play some Solange? I, really, I had actually tried to do... I planned to. If I really, <laughs> I've had more time. But um, one of my students' moms emailed me like a week later and said that her son said, you know, there was a time when little girls couldn't wear their hair like Miss Pogue, and then this happened. And I was oh. like, yes! So, you know, I don't know. Step by step from the boardroom to the classroom. Whatever we can yeah, do to make sure. Yeah, it's just... it's. It's conversations, and, and I, I've just learned in my life that that's part of my role, you know, to just break things down and to explain things, because it, you don't get anywhere if you just get pissed off with people or, you know, you just, you don't explain it. Because some, mm -hmm. sometimes that's all that it takes is just explaining why things are this way. Not that you're giving a justification, but just so that they understand why this is not going to work. I'm not gonna lie, I used to wear weaves all the time and I would get like fun, different colors, different lengths. And my coworkers were always like so confused. And I went and I Googled Kim Kardashian weave. And there's a photo of her or one of the Kardashians like sitting in a chair and a black woman, they have their hair all braided up and they're getting their hair sewn in. And they were like, what? Oh my God. And the minute I showed them a white woman getting a weave, it was no longer this like, oh my God, what is this weave thing? They were all like, I, I think I might get a weave. And I was like, yes, girl, because all these people have weave. I don't know what you think this is. They thought Beyonce's hair was her hair. <laughs> and I was like. But I didn't know that Beyonce had been wearing wigs like forever. Right? Yeah. But here's the thing. She had some er this was early a few years ago. This good. was I'm, I, I'm not I'm not talking about me going into the office in like 2000. Like this was a few years ago, and people were like, "That's not Beyonce's hair." <laughs> I was like, "What?" 
jokes. Oh my God. I mean, that makes me think about though, um, as we're talking about the changing face of the industry, like going into Target and there's like a full aisle of- That's my aisle. Y'all, it's like the he like heavens have touched down. Like for real. Like It's a gift and a curse. Because you spend all your coin, oh all God. your coin. I'm like, I'll try this and that. But it really feels good to, to, to like feel visible in that way. I mean, I think I mostly would go to just like the beauty supply store in my neighborhood and I know that they would have some things for me. But to be in this sort of like big box store where I know maybe I could run and pick up something if I'm on a trip or whatever, and there's something there for me. Not only that, but I have a whole aisle. It's amazing. Yeah. Do you know how that happened? How to happen. So there's a company called Translation, and they worked with Target, I think it was in 2009, um, and they explained the, the multicultural dollar to Target and what was missing in that aisle. And Target was the first retailer to listen and to embrace it and to set up the multicultural beauty aisle. So they were the first retailer to, to not call it the ethnic section and to call it the multicultural beauty aisle. And Target was winning big time. And then all of the other retailers are like, wait, I'm sorry, what, 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 what are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> what, what did we miss out on? <laughs> what, why is Target making all this money? Um, and within a couple of years of that, they, they changed. So this is something that started in Target nine years ago. Wow. Almost 10 now. They don't call it Target for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is like a very broad question, but can we just take a moment to reflect and just realize how much of a, of a difference that you've made and it all came out of a small business that you started in your kitchen? How do you feel like, decades later in 2019 that this business is still flourishing, it's growing, it's, it's our go-to. How does it feel? I just put some of your leave-in spray in earlier. <laughs> I can't even lie. Thanks, I, I feel very proud, honestly. Um, when I found out, I think it was 2017, yeah, when I found out that I was in the Smithsonian, I was home, I was on Instagram, and scrolling through, and I see this really great picture of a jar of healthy hair butter next to a can of Murray's. So I saw the picture first, and I was kind of like, well, that's weird. Like, <laughs> why are these two next to each other? And then I read the caption and saw that it was from a former employee. Her, her name was Iman, and she wrote that moment when you realize that you are a part of history. And I was like, wait, what? And then I looked up and saw her location, and it said the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> so then I DM'd her, and I'm like, is this real? Like, am I really there? And she, she wrote back, and she said yes, and I said, well, are there other brands there? She was like, no, just you and the, the Murrays. And I was like, what? And then she sent me pictures of the plaque and my name was on it and it wow. said the pioneer of the natural hair care movement. And I like, and to think that something like that monumental would happen and like no one calls you to 
Make right. sure make sure you spell price with an I and not a Y, you know. Um, but yeah, the, I, I didn't know, and, and that's how I found out. And then I called my husband, and I'm like, we're in the Smithsonian. He's like, what? <laughs> and I, you know, got it out, and then he started to cry. You know, so wow. no, it, it's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. And then I went and saw it, and that was just... Incredible. Man. Yeah, very humbling, very. Well, I have to say, on behalf of all of us, and I don't want to speak for everyone in this room, but I, I, I think I'm, I can in that it is so amazing to be able to go into whichever store and see ourselves represented, but then also just to look at your brand. I, I was doing a lot of research and just looking at the Instagram page, and you see... Every texture, every color, straight, curly, kinky, and to feel represented and to feel sexy and to feel beautiful. Like, that's so important for us because there have been times in our lives that we felt as though we had to alter ourselves to achieve that. And and now being able to get up and say... I'm beautiful. Just how I woke up like this, <laughs> you know? And, and I feel like there's so much that you have done for that and, and you have done for this industry and you've done for our, our self-confidence. And to think about my niece, who's three years old, who I'll never have to question if she will think that she has to straighten her hair to feel beautiful. And hope my kids hopefully will never have to feel that. And, you know, you laid the groundwork for that. And we're really, really thankful for that. Thank you. Yes. Can we get a quick round of applause, please? <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, just really quick, we have this game that we play on the podcast. We well, it's not a game. Games. It's a segment. It's a segment. It's called What Would You Do? Do you know that City High song? It's like, no. What would you do if your son was at home crying all alone on the bedroom floor because he's hungry and the only way to feed him is to sleep with a man for a little bit of money and his daddy's gone. It's a really good song. It's, a really good song. it's deep. It's deep. Um, but on the podcast, it's a segment where we get listener letters or... Um, DMs on Black Girls Texting, Text messages. Instagram, yeah. um, where people are just asking for advice. It's anonymous. Nobody's getting blown out. Um, so this one, this week we had one. Um, and it was, um, my daughter is, was hanging out with, her, with my aunt, and my aunt took her to get a straightener. A kitty perm, my aunt called it, but she didn't ask my permission. She didn't consult with me. What would you do? You're asking me? I'm asking you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, it, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around that because I don't have an aunt that would do that. Mm. Um, and then I would have this, like, horrible moment of having to have a conversation and a dressing down of an elder, which would be very awkward. So in theory, because I really don't have a relative that would do that, I could see maybe a cousin or a friend getting out of pocket. Um, but no, they would have to be told about what they did. And then I'd have to have separate conversations with my child depending on, does she like this like this? Did she get damaged mm. from it? Is she burned? You know, I mean, that's they did a permanent life-altering thing. And I think they'd have to have a science lesson on top of that. Since I have access to the lab, 
they would have to go to the lab and really see how caustic relaxer solution is and like listen to a chemist and, and learn about it. Because I don't think people realize that you're permanently breaking the bonds of the hair. So people who think that they can revert a relaxer, like no, it's not, it's not possible. If anybody says that, they're, they're dreaming because you permanently break the bonds of the hair. That's how they become straight. They no longer curl. Yeah, that would be a very serious, intense conversation mm. that would have chapters. Chapters? And a test. Yes. <laughs> what did you learn In from the, the lab. <laughs> Wait, Chelsea, didn't that happen to you? Oh, On the spot. Okay, I have a great family. They're good people, but... Um, there are some things in my family and my mom had dreadlocks and her whole family was like, why would you get dreadlocks? Because my mom's hair is very, like, soft. Um, fine, yeah. yeah. So why would you do that terrible thing to yourself? Why would you yourself? do that to your hair? My you mom's like, beautiful I love hair. my dreads. Like, yeah, my dreads are, like, down to my would, butt. Like, when I would braid so my hair, yeah. Yeah, so my mom was, you know, kind of the rebel, I guess. And I went to my cousin's house and she took me to get a perm when I was like, maybe like 13, and my mom went off. How old was your cousin? My cousin was like 25. She's Yeah, and to this day, to this day, my cousin will come over for Thanksgiving and my mom gets a little, some drinks of White Hennessy, and she's like, and I will never forget how you put perm in my daughter here. And it goes off, like she never has forgiven that moment. So you wouldn't. Yeah, Unforgivable. Wouldn't. She was not with it. Oh my but goodness. our next segment, Glenn will introduce. Yeah. So at the end of our show, we uh, have this segment. It's called Black Girls Doing Shit, or just Black Women Prospering and <laughs> Winning. We have potty mouths. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like a safe space. Um, and we highlight a Black woman that inspires us and that's really killing it. And that is you, Miss Lisa Price. Thank you. In the, flesh. In the flesh. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you all for coming. We really appreciate it. Um, so I think we have like maybe time for two audience questions. Um, if anyone has a question at all, I'll go to someone and Shadi can go to someone okay. else. You know. so. And I, I just want to add, um, I don't know what your time frame is, but if it's three or four audience questions, it's okay, because when it's over, I do kind of have to jet, because my, my daughter's got a cold, and she already wanted me to cancel on you. She was like, can't you tell them that your child is sick? Just, just come home. She's not alone, trust me. She has someone watching her, but she's waiting for me. Um, well, thank you for being here, one. It's my second time seeing you this week, and I saw you on Saturday at Brown Girls Love. <laughs> kind of stalking you. Um, so I had a, well, I just was literally, when you said black girls doing shit, I was like, oh, I want to know. You always want to know, like, the women who are doing shit. Who do you think is doing shit? Like, who do you think is a black girl doing shit right now? Oh, that gosh. may not be as known as we all know. Oh, okay. Okay, that changes it. Um, Angela Rye. Okay. She's, but she's kind of known, right? So, so it doesn't, that doesn't count. Oh, you know what? There's, there's a woman um, named Khadija Tudor, on, and she has a place on Tompkins Avenue called Life Wellness. And she's like the mayor, the unofficial mayor of Tompkins Avenue, and is really responsible for a lot of the retail that's going on in that little like three to four block stretch. 
So she has life wellness. She's partners in Make Manifest. And she looks out for real estate for other, you know, small business owners. So she's she's a real like powerhouse that nobody knows about. And Tompkins is just getting flyer and hotter. And I I, I kind of want to be on Tompkins. I don't know I don't know what I'm gonna do over there, but I I want I want Khadija to find me a retail space and then I'll figure out what I'm gonna sell, like purses or something. Hey. Um, so I'm the second oldest person in this room. Um, so I've been in HR for more than 25 years at Fortune 50 companies. And um, it, it, several things you said stuck with me and are so important, I think, for because I feel like everyone else in here is kind of millennial um, to, to keep in mind. <laughs> no, yes, kind of look, take it, take it, because you look that way. That's good. Um, but one of the things you said I think is so important uh, that we didn't delve into, because obviously the natural hair thing is not, not my thing, but um, hair acceptance is, and then especially in the corporate arena. And being in those rooms where you know, the promotional and the money and the, uh, all these other employment decisions are made, I can tell you that disguised as whatever, the, the dress code policy or unkempt or distraction or whatever it is, hair discrimination is real. So what do you think we can do from a corporate perspective for those of, of us that are in the room and the people in this room who are going to be in the room? How can we help shepherd that along? There are some movements, by the way. Um, some of your competitors are probably involved in that trying to get legislative, uh, like real legislative relief and stuff like this because it's, it's real and it affects people's money and it affects people's careers. Do, for, I guess first I should say, do you think it is really as big as maybe I think it is or not? And if so, how can we get traction on this? It's hard for me to say whether it's as big as you think it is only because my experience in the workplace is 25 years as an entrepreneur. And then before that, I worked in television and film production. So I was never subjected to those types of rules. I didn't work in a real corporate environment um, most of my career. I, I think I worked at American Express for like 18 months, maybe two years. Um, and I was 19 at the time, so a lot has changed, I'm sure. I feel like what I see, though, in television and film and even in commercials is completely different from what it used to be. So it's surprising to me when I hear that that still exists in the corporate world because the images that we're looking at are not what we used to look at. Um, so that is, is very surprising that that's still an issue. And maybe one of the ways to address it is, you know, a PowerPoint presentation that shows people the cover of magazines. You know, like, when, when you were saying about how everybody in the room is kind of millennial, what I feel sad and happy about is we're, the rest of you who are, are younger are coming up with representation. When you go to the newsstand, you will see yourself. 
when I was growing up, the only way that I saw myself was ebony, essence, jet. That's it. I, we were not on the covers of Glamour. We were not on Elle. We were not on Allure. Like, we were not on Vogue. We were not there. Um, so, on the one hand, I'm thrilled that you grow up seeing yourselves because then you have a different confidence level and a different outlook and there's things that you don't even think about. And then at the same time, I feel sad because you, you don't know the miracle and the beauty of that um, and, and how wonderful it is. Um, so I, I think it would be when we have people and we have advocates in those places to start the conversation and say, you know, I was looking at the employee handbook and I noticed that this is in here. What does this really mean in 2019? Let me show you what hairstyles look like. Look at this television show and look at how this main character is portrayed, you know? Um, we need to change this dialogue because this is not what's reflective of our culture and our country. Um, because we're, we're, just, we're just not, I don't feel like we are fitting into those boxes anymore. And it shouldn't even be written somewhere. I mean, the whole thing with the, the wrestler, oh my God, that just broke my heart. It just, that, that, like that kind of stuff cannot happen. It just can't. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much again for um, signing my book. Um, how I ended up getting the book was because uh, one of my best friends, she gave it to me because I used to work for Estee Lauder in product development. And it was so... I ended up leaving the position because I was the only little chocolate girl at the table and I didn't have the confidence to stay there. So she was like, hey, I, you know, here's this book, read it, which actually ended up changing my life. So thank you. So now... After you, you know, after that book, uh, what are some of the takeaways or lessons that you can share, you know, as you continue like your path, you know, to success, you know, in the, you know, I guess changing our, yeah, like changing the standard of beauty for us. Does it make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, I I think I alluded to some of it that I that I recognize that I get to be in this position to be a storyteller and to you know, translate and break things down for people and explain things to people um, so that they understand that consumer better um, and think of new ways to speak to her. Because the typical way within beauty, um, which other companies have been changing as well, was always to look at what's wrong with you and let's help you fix it. And I think beauty companies are beginning to understand we can't talk about what's wrong with somebody. We have to celebrate who they are. You know, like Dove Real Women, that was a campaign that started over a decade ago, and it was so refreshing and so different and something we had never seen before, and companies saw how women loved it. You know, we have backlash against Victoria's Secret for just having this one type of, you know, model and shape, and people are like, yeah, no, that's not what women look like. So. The more that that gets pushed and the more that I can be a part of that, it is great because I, I, I think when we get to a place where we're not judging and comparing and, 
am I enough? Am I pretty? Am I thin enough? Am I good enough? And it's more about what you put into the world and, and what exudes from you and your inner beauty and your inner power. All of that is much more important. Well, so, hello. I am the oldest person in this room, okay. and I am an independent consultant. So, when the lady was speaking about being in HR, I consult with HR, I consult with operations, I consult with strategy, and a lot of creating companies, including many who deal with L'Oreal. So, I am one of the people behind the scenes that gets to speak to Julian Chardon and some of the French people that work at L'Oreal. Um, I just want to say to her and to everybody in this room that it is up to us to make sure that we get involved in the conversation. We can tell them who to bring in to help train people on diversity and harassment. Somebody like me who comes in and tells the truth about not only black women, but I've come to talk to companies about Muslim women and the touching and the hugging and all of the things that they come and talk to me about in companies and here in the United States where we are very free with hugs and loves and kisses, which is not traditional for them. So we have to tell people who we want to come and train us, who we want to stand in the room with us. We want people who look like us, we want people who understand us, and we want people to accept what we are and what we have to bring to the discussion and to the table. And it's really important that we have to stand up for ourselves and let our voice be heard. And I just want to say thank you very much. I remember when your products came out. I truly appreciate it as somebody who has had her hair shaved, who wears my hair natural now. I love all these women in the room. The looks, the diversity here is a really great thing. Thank you. Is this on? Oh. First, I want to say thank you so much, and to the ladies of Black Girls Texting, this is such an amazing conversation about hair, about beauty, just about life and business as well. So my question is more career-related, but have you, can you talk about a time or a situation where you felt that something was a setback or something was a disappointment, but now looking back was a blessing in disguise? Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> um... I mean, I've had a few of those, um, but not necessarily in the career space, like just more in the business space where I thought that something was going to grow quicker and go quicker and be bigger, and it, and it didn't. It Kind of like figure out what your role is supposed to be, um, and I and I think the the biggest lesson that I've learned from all those different things is trusting my intuition and my gut because there are times when something is happening and you could speak on it in the moment and you feel like you have the right to and things are not as they should be. Somebody's getting out of pocket and you want to say, no, 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 no. That's not what you said yesterday. This is what you said yesterday. You know, and you hear this voice that says, be quiet, just, just let it go. 
And you're kind of like, but why do I have to let it go? Because she lied. And I want to tell her that I know she lied because she lied. Um, and then I, I let it go and I don't say anything. And then in the days that follow, I understand why I wasn't supposed to speak at that moment because that person had to discover it on their own or maybe they needed to lie to somebody else. And then that person they'd actually listen to and they might not have listened to me or, you know, it, I wouldn't have changed the situation. I just would have had the satisfaction of addressing the lie in that moment. So that inner voice is, is really key because a lot, a lot of times it's not about what it looks like you should do right then and there. It's about what needs to be done and it may not need to come from you. Did I answer that okay? Yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> there was one more person back there. I feel bad. Okay. I mean, I could wait. It's a really quick comment. Oh, okay. So I'm going to put my blast, my cell phone blast real quick, but I think it's necessary to just like provoke conversation. I love the top, um, what you brought up about 4C and the celebration of that. Whatever I guess 4C is, um, because I think it looks different with whatever. I'm not a person who gets caught up in that letter and number. Yeah. However, I realized like about two years ago that I was like paying compliments to people who had like the typical big juicy curls and I like to like, I guess consider myself woke, right? And I was like, yo, why am I doing this? I need to like literally stop if we really want to celebrate black hair and, and, and black liberation, black feminism or black women in general, we need to really celebrate it in its totality. So I started to like, I, I literally had to stop myself in my tracks and say like, okay, although I do love her hair, granted, and everyone has a preference, but it's really important to not only compliment our sisters whose hair we, I guess, we see on Instagram and those hair models, but those who might not also be celebrated, like those, I guess, 4C that we label it. Um, so, I, I mean, I say that to, one, call myself out, but I know I'm not probably the only person who, like, say, hey, girl, I love your hair when it's, because not everyone really receives those compliments, although their hair was equally beautiful. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I love that you brought that up because that's something that I've dealt with in the past and I'm definitely working on to just pay it forward and compliment, you know, all my sister's hair as it looks, as it grows out their hair naturally. Mm -hmm. yes. Yes. Yay. Okay. I'm running around the room with the mic. Okay. I'm a classically trained singer. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Lisa, for coming and joining us today. I had a quick question just in regards to um, access to funding. You know, as a minority and a small business owner starting off, how did you navigate approaching those VCs, PEs, just in regards to getting capital funding? And now having a seat at the table and being part of an executive team, um, how do you ensure that people and women of color and small business owners are visible in terms of getting access to funding from, you know, a L'Oreal perspective? Well, I, unfortunately, I'm not an executive at a, a VC or uh, a company that uh, provides access to capital. So the way that I do it today is in you know, speaking when Goldman Sachs does their 10,000 business summit and 
Um, I served on the National Women's Business Council for three years. And what we did at the National Women's Business Council, we were an advisory group to um, then President Barack Obama, the Small Business Administration, and Congress on the needs of women-owned business. And we kind of like dug a little bit deeper than just the surface data um, as to why women have such a hard time getting funding in comparison to men, um, helping to change the dialogue for bankers so that they understand that women ask for money in a different way from men, but it doesn't mean that they don't understand their businesses. I've worked with um, the Trademark and Patent Office and done speaking events for them because a lot of women don't understand the importance of trademarking their name and their logo, and they think that because they have a website that their name is protected and one has nothing to do with the other. Um, and then we're afraid of government agencies because we think somebody's going to come and take something away, we're going to have to pay some crazy taxes, we're going to get into trouble and we're going to lose everything that we've worked for. Um, and Trademark and Patent Office is a friendly government agency and your name and your intellectual property is so much part of the value of your company. So that, that's how I help now. Um, and then as far as getting funding for the company, I was able to, with the help of an accountant, secure some bank loans when my company needed to expand. But when I got to the place where I needed an investor, that was through a friend connecting me with someone. But it was actually my lawyers who made sure that I had a good deal going forward. And then as the business continued to grow, my business partner was the person who was better connected to um, equity firms and things like that. So it was something that I learned as I went along. Um, it's not something that I knew how to do when I was in that process. And there are very few women in that world, and there are even fewer people of color and even fewer women of color. Um, so that's why I try to do what I can today, even though I'm not part of a VC company, but I try to do what I can to explain to people that if I could do it, you can do it. And your lawyers and your accountants are really, really important because they're the ones who let you know this is a good deal or this is a bad deal. Like, don't do this because it, it, you're not getting what you're worth. Um, that's not something we can always figure out for ourselves. Well, I want to be mindful of your time um, and just thank you for being here. Thank you for imparting your knowledge on all of these people that have come out and asked you questions. Like, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you, you being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank you all for coming here. We really appreciate it. We know you probably just came right from work. Um, didn't even get a chance to go home and freshen up. So we appreciate you. Um, uh, we just want to any podcasting um, website or app and follow, rate, subscribe, Black Girls Texting. We're really trying to make this thing grow with the help of people that we admire, like Miss Lisa, people that listen and come to these live shows at Dumbo House, which we'll be trying to have monthly. Right, Omar? <laughs> um, so thank you. And it's an ecosystem. So if you have anything that you'd like to maybe collaborate with us on, 
please also let us know. We just got our cards fresh off the press, so come grab one. Um, grab a pen. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you.